Thanks to you, Johnnies. It is Tuesday, the 7th of March, and this is Game On. Coming up today, we'll talk Champions League with Paul Corey and Mark Langdon. Keen Tracy is with us to discuss the Ireland rugby squad announcement, and we'll have Shane Stokes on cycling. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome along. Paul Corey and Keen Tracy are with me in studio. You're very welcome, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Mate. Keen, you spent the day watching schools rugby. Um, I tweeted a video of a little 10-year-old that I know today uh, who scored a wonder goal for Joey's at the weekend, uh, Corey Clerkin, and loads of people are getting touching with me just about the skills of the young kids today. And you're seeing now kids a little bit older, but it, it does feel that um, on the rugby field anyway and on the football field, we've great little lads coming and girls coming through, but uh, the skills are look like they're at a, at a pretty high bar. Yeah, I saw that clip that you... Uh tweeted out and it was incredible technique <laughs> like I mean it just like how the kid got his foot over the ball it was remarkable and yeah I ended up watching because it was on TV more than anything um, I suppose that's the joy and the 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 sort of allure you'd have to say of the Leinster School Senior Cup just how big it's gone in the last few years the TV companies are, are putting it on so I know like in Munster um, it's been streamed on different sites and stuff but to have it on TV is, is remarkable really so um, yeah Gonzaga played Newbridge earlier uh, it was an incredible game Gonzaga won 33-31 um, but just the quality of rugby on show and you know lots of these lads will go on and they'll play for the Ireland under 20s um, next year and, and maybe the year after as well and like the Ireland under 20s at the moment are going for a Grand Slam mm-hmm. like the senior team but if you ever get a chance just to see the quality of rugby that's coming through in, in Leinster and you'd have to say Munster as well and I don't get to see obviously Ulster um, or Connacht because they're, they're not streamed but it is remarkable and it's no surprise when you see like the Leinster conveyor belt when you see the level of coaching and it's the it's how the, I would say the attacks are manipulating defences at that level like I mean I was watching it earlier and Johnny Murphy the, the former Munster Leicester Tigers player is over uh, Newbridge and Newbridge obviously would be one of the smaller fish compared to the, the big Dublin schools and just the level of detail in their attack like I mean it's just kind of belied the, the years of the kids like you're watching teenagers playing to that level so it's remarkable it's a testament to the kids but it's also a testament to the, the level of coaching that they're getting and like I said it's no surprise then when they come into different academies uh, across the country that they're almost ready to go because they're getting it from such a, uh, such an early age in school On that one are, are Leinster involved with the coaching of the schools teams or is it very much up to each school how they develop their players Leinster would have kind of different uh, development officers who would pop in around to, to different schools but obviously yeah like coaches would have their own kind a of a lot of schools would have their own directors of rugby yeah, and directors like of coaching it's, it's it's crazy like how big it's gone like, like, like I'm saying like the fact it's on TV like I mean the money that's being pumped into it but you're probably seeing the, the fruits of that I mean the mm-hmm. amount of young guys that are coming out of schools now just like tailor made ready to go into academies and they're just so far along than they would like kids would have been in previous years and it's probably the same for well not the same but it's similar for football though as well mm. with the level of coaching and detail and I think like you know like I said when you were getting ex-pros like Johnny Murphy getting mm. into the game and like he's using this as you know I'd imagine a footing to go on and hopefully get like better things and it's just like when he's bringing that level of nous into the schools game and like he's I think director of rugby Newbridge so he works across the board it's not just with the senior team it's unbelievable and it also means that you know again I'll just stick on Newbridge as an example because Gonzaga obviously in the heart of Dublin it means that 
Leinster are spreading their, their wings even further that they're getting a chance to catch some of these mm-hmm. guys who might be like GEA players or whatever like I'm pretty sure the the out half who was playing for Newbridge today was part of the Kildare minor panel but might have got dropped I think earlier this year which meant that he got to play now and all of a sudden this guy looks like a real talent and he might have been you know picked up by the GA. now it'd be interesting to see what happens something like that so it just means Leinster are getting the benefit of having the guys in Dublin but also the guys in outside of the, the strongholds like Newbridge so it's pretty Maybe it's where I grew up and where I live now, but I very rarely see kids going around throwing rugby balls. So would it be a case that if they are going to develop their skills that they need to be done in an organised setting? I think so, but like, I mean, I'm from Limerick and I would say that, yeah, like you don't see too many people walking around the streets with rugby balls, Mm. but like where I live up in Dublin, there's a lot of kids walk around with rugby balls and that's definitely a case of just where I live at the moment. But I do see kids like regularly on the green passing a rugby ball kicking a rugby ball um, now if you went a couple of kilometres down the road like up to Kilmacud or whatever you'd see you know kids with hurlies and Gaelic footballs and stuff like that so um, I think it depends but when you're going into these big rugby schools you've got such a leg up in terms of like trying to you know if, if that's what you want your dream to be you've got such a leg up when you're getting that level of coaching and it's not even just like coaching with a rugby ball like it's like the S&C side yeah. of things a lot of these schools have strength and conditioning like guys and girls working with them so it's just like it's remarkable it's just it's just gone to another level but we're we're seeing the the benefits of it in Irish rugby I'd say as, as a whole at the moment you know What about then like the Sean O'Briens and the Thike Furlongs who didn't go to those rugby schools those specific rugby schools like are they going to be at a major disadvantage kids like them because the intense coaching now that's been done in the the private schools really yeah look it's interesting so I mean we're going to get on and talk about it but Kieran Frawley is a is a good example and he's come into the Ireland squad and he's going to he's going to replace uh, Jamie Osborne but there's two guys so Kieran Frawley came through Scaries um, and I know for a fact when he was in school lots of the big Dublin schools tried to try to get him to come and play senior cup with them he said no he was playing a lot of GEA at the mm-hmm. time and that's probably aided his development now by playing multi-sports Jamie Osborne is very very similar he went to Nay CBS, um, which would be a football school. I think they were in a final actually recently. Yeah, a school's sounds final. Familiar. Yeah. Um, and he played a lot of guys as well. And you see, the, these two guys are just such accomplished footballers. They're the kind of guys, if you'd imagine, they could play multiple sports and they'd, they'd excel at them. So I would say, like, and Kieran Frawley has spoken a bit about this before, that of course, when you're kind of coming in as an 18 year old, and maybe you're seeing a guy who went to Michaels or Black Rock, you might feel like maybe your conditioning might be not as good, but if you've got the skill and your talent, I mean, ultimately the cream will rise to the top. But um, I think Leinster are doing a good job of that. Munster are doing a really good job of that. I mean, you look at how well Munster have tapped into West Cork in the last couple of years. That has never been a rugby stronghold, really. Uh, Waterford as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys like Owen O'Connor, Thomas O'Hearn coming through that pathway as well. So a few Clare lads coming through as well. A few Clare lads, yeah. yeah. Tony Butler, Ethan Coughlin yeah. uh, from tip Ennis. Lads. Yeah. yeah, tip lads as well. Brian Gleeson has been one of the, the stars mm-hmm. for the Ireland Twenties at the moment. He's been playing, I think he played underage hurling for Tipperary. So I think all the provinces um, are wary of, you know, they, they want to make sure that no talent slips through the net. And they're doing a really good job of it, you'd have to say, because like I said, guys like Kieran Frawley and Jamie Osborne haven't have got through and now they're in the Ireland shake-up, so... Paul, it is, um, it's a really interesting discussion because we know from just looking at kids nowadays that they're not outside playing football like they used to. Those days of um, you know, spending eight, ten hours being gone and coming home, they were a rare enough thing. Like you know, When we were growing up, there was always kids out in the street kicking football. Um, but it, it's not the same anymore. There's a lot more distractions and their parents aren't as... Um, they don't give as much freedom to children now. So 
it's a bit like the rugby situation where the coaching then, the organised coaching, the academies become really important because mm. that's where they're honing their skills. And look, maybe the kids that are out playing the 10 hours a day will, will get a bit of an edge, but the majority of them need the academies for, for training. Yeah, and, and the schools route is a really interesting debate because, I, I mean, for the majority of kids, you're guaranteed Monday to Friday that they're going to be heading into school. And when I was in, in Belvedere College, the senior club team would have been in the in the gym before school mm-hmm. and then they would have been out on the pitch afterwards. So you're having that touch points with the players where they're able to develop the different sides of the games. We've seen it as well with League of Ireland teams. I know St. Pat's have made efforts. I know Shamrock Rovers have made efforts to actually work the school timetable around their best talents so that they're able to train with the first team from say the age of 16, 17, 18 so they're having those touch points to develop the talent and then when you know it comes to the kid being ready at 17 or 18 they've, they've got, got a really good foundation of technical skill and also physical skill and they're able to support themselves in that environment so I think the Leinster case in particular is a really interesting one that you can study and you can look at the the talent that they've developed over the years and they've managed to get through how they've done that and then how you can actually replicate that in different sports and I think the League of Ireland are slowly catching up I mm-hmm. think they're realising that schooling is very important particularly with kids not being able to leave at 16 because of Brexit how do we keep them within our environment develop them academically but also develop them on, on the football pitch and I mean the likes of uh, Gavin Bazunu when private schooling through mm-hmm. Shamrock Rovers look how he's gone on and I'm sure they can replicate that again yeah and even like I think that the next 10 years is going to be really interesting because of the situation and I mean for the generation of kids coming through because of the situation now where rugby don't want to miss any talent football have very much got their act in order in terms of pathways and academy that little boy that I tweeted from tweeted out today uh, he's in Joey so he's there probably five days a week He's that's his pathway and, and, and you know he sees where he wants to go but what I'd be really interested in where the GA fits into all of this because you've got kids who are 10, 11, 12 and they want that competitive environment they're under, the, they're in the, the spotlight for rugby or, or for soccer but then you look at the GA and it's very much a, a go games model it's about participation and um, that competition hasn't come into it yet and I'll be curious to see in 10 years time mm. will the you know will the Kieran Frawleys will they keep mm. going to the rugby or whoever it is the equivalent keep going to the soccer and what will happen with the GA when they're not really adopting those um, intense coaching and development models for the the really sporty kids. I think it also works in cycles as well. I mean, I did a big piece on this a couple of years back about um, rugby and GA in Limerick and how like the Limerick hurlers mm. are unbelievable at the moment, but they're also sexy and they're attractive because of the style of play that they play. So lots of kids nowadays want to play, be the next, you know, Garrod Hegarty or whoever you know they want to be following that route and you know I spoke to a lot of people on the ground in rugby and they would have said that they're finding it increasingly difficult to get kids now we're talking like much younger like in terms of like mid to early teens um, whereas before they like rugby kind of not wouldn't have been the only show in town because Limerick is so diverse in terms of its uh, sporting culture but they are finding it more and more you know difficult to keep these players mm-hmm. because you know they want to play hurling they want to win all Ireland's and Munster haven't been successful which obviously feeds into it as well so I think that works in, in cycles and waves as well in, in places like Limerick where there are so many sports played you know yeah no, it'll definitely be definitely be one to, to watch anyway and see where the talent in the in the <coughs> next generation does end up um, the Scotland game is coming up you mentioned Kieran uh, Frawley there and he has been drafted into the Ireland squad along with Nick Timoney um, Kieran Frawley had been injured for quite some time he was playing with um, Leinster in the URC game against Edinburgh at the weekend and you know the fact that he's been drafted in there for these two really important games you'd have to think that Andy Farrell is probably looking at the bigger picture here what's coming down the track too 
Yeah, I think like if you're being realistic, it's highly unlikely unless there's a, a load of injuries that Kieran Frawley is going to feature on Sunday against Scotland or next weekend against Italy or against England. He still hasn't been capped, and I think that's a big part of the reason why Andy Farrell wants to get him in, in, in you know, involved as much as possible. He was very, very good in New Zealand uh, last summer. He he was the out half for the midweek team um, he's just picked up injuries at really unfortunate times and it's kind of interesting the way Leinster and Ireland are, are you know viewing Kieran Frawley because <clears throat> Andy Farrell has played him 10 every opportunity he's gotten whereas mm. Leinster haven't really seen him like that he played 15 last weekend and you know there is a bit of you know uncertainty around who is the backup after Hugo Keenan because Hugo Keenan has been so durable and reliable and outstanding basically since he's, he made his breakthrough a couple of years ago so um, lots of different guys have been running at full back in training but we haven't seen anyone really get a chance and Kieran Frawley is definitely an option and I think when when you come down to pick um because I think it's a 31-man World Cup squad in September. Like, it, it, you know, guys who can play in multiple positions, like a guy like Jimmy O'Brien is going to be so valuable as well. And Kieran Frawley can do that too. So it depends on the, the way, the makeup that Andy Farrell is going to see uh, his World Cup squad. But it's a big show of, of confidence for Kieran Frawley to get back in after playing after playing one game and Joey Carberry misses out now as well obviously like Frawley has come in for Jamie Osborne as that kind of utility mm-hmm. player because Osborne can play we just mentioned like how multi-skilled both of these guys are and that's probably from their sporting backgrounds but Jamie Osborne can play in the wing he can play in the centre he can play at full back Frawley is similar he can play 10 he can play 12 he can play 15 Um so these are the kind of guys that, that you need. But for Joey Carberry, it's another kind of tough pill to swallow, I'd say. You know, he was he got in the squad um, on the back of Johnny Sexton's injury ahead of the Italy game. He travelled to, to Rome as a non-playing reserve just in case Ross Burner, Jack Crowley went down. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's, you know, bombed out of the squad again. So that's, I think, really, really difficult for him. You know, the, the noises coming out of the, the Ireland camp from the coaches what he, is that he had done really well in camp but it just shows how far down the pecking order that he's fallen now I do think it can still change very quickly but mm. it's not like he's been released this weekend to play a game for Munster you know there's no there's no URC games this weekend so that's a tough one for for Joey Carberry I would say yeah needs some resilience to bounce back from that one and uh, Nick Timoney is in as well um, earning the recall he'd been left out um, of the squad for the opening rounds of the championship but had played well against Fiji in November were you surprised to see him back in? Uh, I think he probably just suffered from Ulster's malaise really um, a lot of guys did but Nick Timoney has been very good any time he's played for Ireland and you know we talk about the backup to uh, Hugo Keenan in terms of a backup for Josh van der Fleer I think you know at the moment if he was to go down you'd imagine Peter O'Mahony would move to seven which isn't his most natural position he prefers to play on the blind side rather than the open side so like for like replacement Nick Timoney is that guy but again when it comes down to a World Cup squad you know, is he versatile enough to play multiple positions? It'll be interesting to see. But um, I like wouldn't expect Nick Timoney or Kieran Frawley to to feature this weekend or next weekend. But I think it's just about it's probably about Andy Farrell's man management of the situation. You know, he's he sent Nick Timoney away. You know, he said like you know form hasn't been great. I'd imagine. Um, and he's come back now and he said, OK, you're still part of the plans. And he's, he did that with Joey Carberry as well for the Italy game. He's done it with Kieran Frawley now. So this is something <clears throat> that Leo Cullen does really, really well, keeping a huge amount of guys happy and 
well these guys aren't going to be happy not playing but certainly if they're being recalled to the squad it shows them that they're not too far away and with so many games to come later this year that's a good place to be I think Yeah and anyone else um, catch your interest including the squad? Well I mean like it was because the game is on Sunday it's it, we're, we're a day behind in terms of you know what's happening usually if it was a Saturday game the players would have come in on a Sunday because the Scotland game is on sun, uh, this Sunday the players only came in on Monday so today would have been their first training session so last what was it last Thursday they had an open training session and you know Gary Ringrose didn't train James Lowe didn't train Stuart McCloskey didn't train um, so there are three big guys but on the flip side you had Jameson Gibson Park trained Johnny Sexton trained uh, Robbie Henshaw trained Tyke Furlong trained so um those four look like they're they're back on track it, like I think it's just a fine balancing act in terms of how many of these guys who are short on game time does Andy Farrell put back in for such a huge game I think you know Finley Bealham's injury kind of means that Ty Furlong almost has to come back in as well as Tom O'Toole has been playing um, but in the centre you know it did really didn't go well you'd have to say in, in Rome and I can't see Stuart McCloskey and Bundyaki playing um, maybe ever again as a centre partnership <laughs> as harsh as that might sound but um, Gary Ringrose is just so important to come back in but if he's not fit then I would imagine Robbie Henshaw is probably the most next natural replacement to him, but he hasn't played since October, uh, so he's missed a, a lot of game time. So these are the big questions uh, Andy Farrell has, but like I mean, the caliber player that he's welcoming back is is remarkable, really. So um, they're certainly good headaches to have. They're Ireland are in a good place, I think, going into this weekend. Yeah, the team announcement's going to be um, really interesting. All right, and uh, just in terms of uh, Caelan Doris, you wrote a piece today and why eight is the position that he is most comfortable in. Talk us through what what you found out. When when you were doing your research on this? Um, I just thought it was interesting that um, in the the last game in Rome, like Caelan Doris wasn't poor by any means in that game, but when he was playing on the blind side, I just didn't think he was involved in the play as much. And then all of a sudden, I think Jack Conan went off at about 56 minutes and Peter O'Mahony came on and Ireland went back to what I would say is Andy Farrell's first choice back row with Peter O'Mahony, Josh van der Fleer and Caelan Doris at number eight. And all of a sudden, Caelan Doris was popping up, doing the kind of things that, you know, he was outstanding in that France game. So I was just kind of curious to know what what is it about the roles of a six and an eight? Because if you talk to the players like Jack Conan and Caelan Doris, they'll say it's very fluid that, you know, mm. it doesn't really matter what the number in your jerseys and on your back. But having, I spoke to Leo Cullen, uh, I spoke to Dennis Leamy about it and Sean O'Brien was very good as well. Um, and just basically like the role, like I'm not going to get too bogged down into it, but in short, like the role of the six is like to, to be on the fringes of play more, which makes total sense that when Caelan Doris switched, all of a sudden he was in the thick of the action. So I think my, my, my point of the piece was that I think Caelan Doris is a generational talent. I think this guy could go down as one of the, the great Irish players. And I don't really see the point in moving him. Mm-hmm. I don't like if you're going to move a guy like why why not why isn't Jack Conan will say the the, the guy moving to six? Um, so yeah, that's that's where I stand in it. I'd be shocked if Caelan Doris isn't back at number eight this weekend. I think it's been proven time and time again. Like Sean O'Brien said it, he's working with Caelan Doris on a daily basis as Leinster's contact sales coach, and he said he's in no doubt that eight is his best position. And I think Andy Farrell certainly knows that as well. Again, it's trying to keep a big squad happy, but. Um, I just think going forward, if you're moving guys from their best position, 
the guy coming in would really want to be playing well I don't think that's been the case when Caelan Doris has gone to six so um, I just think Ireland need to base so much of their game plan around this guy and I'd imagine they will on Sunday because um, if Ireland are going to win a Murrayfield Caelan Doris is going to be really really important OK and uh, just finally then Kean, will Ireland win at the weekend? I think so yeah I think so um, that's not in, in any way arrogant I think Ireland are a better team than Scotland Scotland have improved massively I think I think it will be tighter than a lot of people think but um, with the calibre players that Ireland have coming back if Gary Ringrose is fit if Johnny Sexton is back like these guys just make such a huge difference Tyg Furlong as well so um, yeah I'd imagine so and all roads then would lead to Paddy's weekend for hopefully two Grand Slams for the senior <laughs> team and the 20s Wouldn't that be great uh, Keen Tracy thank you so much for coming into studio uh, we're going to take a very quick break but do stay with us because Shane Stokes is standing by to talk to us about how Sam Bennett is getting on um, we have Paul Corey as well to chat the Champions League and plenty more How are you Shane? All good yeah? Yeah everything's good thank you uh, We haven't checked in with you in a while so it's it's great to catch up and it, it's great to be catching up when um, Sam Bennett is in action and he is of course at uh, Paris Nice How's things going for him? Good yeah a little frustrating I think because he was he was second on the on the opening stage and probably should have won that. Um, the opening stage was on Sunday. And then on Monday's stage, he, he was only 20th, uh, which which seems like a, a big, big gulf. But he probably, um, he would have fancied his chances going to that. And everything looked very good until about 500 metres to go where he got blocked, uh, got sandwiched between two riders on a roundabout and ended up losing the wheel of his lead out man who was himself in the perfect position um, and, and Sam Bennett literally in the space of about five seconds went from where he needed to be to where he definitely didn't need to be. <laughs> so it's a lot of them. Um, he he won the very first race, uh, his very first race of the year, the Vuelta San Juan International, stage one of that on the uh, 22nd of January and since then has taken nine uh, nine finishes in the top eight of races. Um, he's had second, third, fourth places etc um, and there's just been so many near misses mm-hmm. and I think that's 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 something that's going to be on his mind um, but equally this is the time of year I suppose if you're going to have near misses you, you do it in these slightly smaller races because you want to have your 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 team well drilled for the Tour de France I mean that's the, the big race of the year so if errors need to be made they need to be made now and lessons learned now Yeah that's a really good way of looking at it and, and you know often in these kind of cases that things eventually come good you know the luck turns mm. the wheel turns and all the rest um, just in terms of observing him um, as you have been done or as you have been doing look where do you think he's at? Yeah, what's interesting is that so he had an injury um, coming up to two years ago. He was the best sprinter in cycling. You might remember winning two stages on the mm-hmm. green jersey in the Tour de France um, a couple of years ago. He had a knee injury then um, in 2021 and um, since then has kind of been trying to get back to where he was. Uh, he was very good in last year's Vuelta España, but then caught COVID. He's still not got the same um, run of success that he had uh, prior to that knee injury, but he's he's making all the right noises and he's working hard to get back there. And I think he will get back there. Um, but I spoke about the, the the near misses he's had and that some of that's been tactical. Some of that has just been bad luck. Um, for example, his second place on, on Sunday stage of Paris-Nice, uh, a rider from the Sudal Quickstep team attacked and Sam Bennett's lead out man who's the guy that should put him in exactly the right position to sprint had to chase down that rider um, and as a result Sam Bennett didn't get the same high speed lead out and um, and Tim Merlier came from behind and, and beat him so there's a lot of little things that are are, are, are going wrong if you like um, but to answer your question 
he has said, he said um, yesterday, and this was really interesting, that he said he is still two to 300 watts off. Um, so in other words, a power output, he's still two to 300 watts off where he normally is um, and that he fully believes he'll get back to there. Uh, and that makes the difference because when you have that, that, that extra power, these little mistakes can happen and you're still strong enough to come back from them. So the tactics don't have to be, you know, 100%. You know, there can be little mm -hmm. things not quite right and you can still win. On the plus side, that'll worry his rivals because, as I mentioned, he's had one win and nine, under, nine other top eight finishes. And he's a, if he's able to do that when he's uh, two to 300 watts off his uh, expected um, Tour de France form, then I think they're going to be quite worried because, you know, what will he be like when okay. he actually gets fully back up to speed? For you, from your point of view then, what would your expectations be for him in the big one, as you mentioned there, the Tour de France, or just the season in general? I think unless he has another injury, um, if he can steer clear of injury, I think he's going, to, he's going to get back up there again. Now, there are, you know, riders that have come through. Uh, Fabio Jakobsen is one of them. There's a couple of other uh, younger riders than Bennett. And sometimes you're faster when you're younger, but you've less endurance maybe, and, and he'll have more endurance being older. So it's it's not... You can't say that if he gets back to the form he, he was in the, in the 2020 tour that he's going to absolutely you know be as successful. Um, but that said, you know I think he has it. He has um, more good seasons um, in the legs, and I do think it is it is very possible that he will get back to where he was again. He just has to keep working away, keep the head down. And what happens often in sprinting, one big win. Um, opens the floodgates and suddenly mm -hmm. you get a load of other wins so so these near misses you know if they had gone the other way he could be on a complete run at the moment his team would have more um, I suppose more, made of, more, more motivation to be in exactly the right place etc so you know things could change um, tomorrow he has a big win and um, actually well it's Thursday is the next opportunity mm -hmm. but uh, you know things could change on Thursday and that could see um, a whole load of successes um so I think yeah, he's he's in the right going in the right direction, and with uh, as long as he avoids injury, I think he'll be he should be a very successful year for him. And just in terms of look, I guess his own career goals, his age profile, the expectations that people have on him. How significant is this season for him? Very, I'd say it's very very significant. Um, twenty twenty was his his big year where he, where he had that Tour de France success, and the first part of twenty twenty one until he had a knee injury, he was the fastest uh, guy in professional cycling. That's that's now two years ago, 2021. So so he needs to get back up to where he is. He's 32 years of age um, and he will start getting slower. Um, he may become more versatile in races like the classics. That can happen sometimes when a rider's in his early 30s. But I do think that this year is really crucial uh, to get back to where, you know, as much for his own confidence mm -hmm. um, and his team's confidence in him, I think it is, it is really important to have a big year. And if he does do that, I think that'll... Um, give a lot of momentum to the rest of his career. Yeah, and look, we're in um, we're in March now. Um, he does have a little bit of time, and, and you feel Shane, he's he's kind of heading in the right direction anyway. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he's knocking on the door of more mm -hmm. wins. He's had one win already this year, um, and with a little bit more luck, um, with things, you know, working out slightly differently. You know, there's been so many races where things just went a little bit wrong, or one guy attacked. Um, and, and caught him out or he got blocked behind two riders etc um, and and just with a little bit more luck or you know again as he said a little bit more form mm. when he has a little bit of extra power those near misses will turn into 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 wins and that will add momentum and generate more wins well, that sounds very promising uh, Shane Stokes thank you so much as always we will be talking to you soon again no doubt we're going to take a very quick, quick break now though we've League of Ireland 
and Champions League to come. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Paul Corey is with me in studio. Paul, it's been a great start to the League of Ireland for many reasons. And one is because the way we thought it was going to go, it, it hasn't happened yet from a Shamrock Rovers point of view. They drew again um, with Cork City last night, an absolute thriller now, 4-4. But it's not the start of the season that anyone expected and I'm sure none of them themselves did either. Particularly with Shamrock Rovers, I mean... A lot of the talk has been that they've strengthened based on where they were last year. They were 13 points clear of Derry at the end of last season, and it was it was about kicking on. But it just seems like it's taken them a little bit of time to to really kick into gear. Marie, um, some of their play last night was probably not as fluid as Stephen Bradley would have liked. They're obviously without a number of players over the last number of weeks with suspensions and injuries, uh, but the points total. Is <laughs> I'm sure something that Stephen Bradley and most League of Ireland fans wouldn't have expected. Mm. Now that said, I, I thought they were really good against Derry on Friday night, and particularly in the first half, when you consider the players they were missing, they moved the ball around really well, and maybe a little unlucky to lose that game. But last night, they probably weren't at the races. And is that just fatigue, or you know, just kind of find it difficult to get going? Because they have strengthened the team, they have a lot of their their same players, they've been together for quite a, a time now just in terms mm. of the squad so like they know what Stephen Bradley expects from them um, but they just didn't seem to be able to get to the pace of things quick enough I think there was a conscious effort from Stephen Bradley to ensure that he freshened things up in, in the off season and he brought in a number of players and if, if you look at last night Trevor Clark played Poom Kenny Nugent so there's four players already from a starting 11 who weren't there last year maybe it's just taking a bit of time for relationships to build particularly at the top end of the pitch if you think the likes of Johnny Kenny and Rory Gaffney won't have played too many times before the back three and the three centre halves that they've played over the last number of weeks have, have has been makeshift because they've had to with suspensions and, and they've conceded a lot of goals in their last two games so it's probably taken a bit of time more time I'm sure than Stephen Bradley would have hoped for, for those relationships to form and, and for things to gel um, but he certainly will be hoping that it starts to pick up because at the moment they're seven points behind Derry yeah. and Derry don't look like Second they're going to slow the up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to finish that way. <laughs> taking a screen grab of that now. Um, I liked Colin the Healy's attitude afterwards that they came here to win and he was really disappointed with the draw um, and looking at I guess because they, they did have that lead um, for a while as well that you know they, they had the chance to win it. They were really well set up last night. Uh, they were quite aggressive in their press. They've obviously got a lot of energy within the team because naturally enough the team is quite young but I thought they were very well organised and they went to get out and get about Shamrock Rovers and try and make life difficult for them. They did that for a period of the first half. I still thought Shamrock Rovers were, were pretty much in control of the game but the goals changed the momentum it changed the flow and Cork worked their goals really well I thought Keating was superb last night I thought Healy as well in the middle of the pitch absolutely excellent Aaron Bulger as well in, in that middle of the park just kind of kept things ticking over and they created chances uh, they got down the side of Shamrock Rovers on a couple of occasions and they threatened and, and Roy Keating in particular took his first goal very well and the I guess the moment of the night across the whole League of Ireland was, was Crowley's goal from 40 mm-hmm. yards uh, the execution to just lob Manus was superb and from there gone 2-1 up and then 4-2 up you probably thought that they were they were going to get home and they were going to get three points but they ran out of gas in around sort of 75 <laughs> minutes for you. And Shamrock Rovers had 17 corners on the night and it just felt like it was attack after attack <laughs> after attack. And it had that feeling that um, Cork's legs were going to give and they conceded two really sloppy goals and I'm sure when they reflect on it, we'll think if we'd just been a, a little more disciplined or a little more aggressive attacking the ball when it went into the box, they would have come away with three points. But if you're giving Colin Healy a point 
before last night I'm sure you would have snapped your hand off for it yeah, and just even looking at the table there, seeing St. Pat's just above uh, Shamrock Rovers, third from the bottom, and just a disappointing loss for them against Sligo last night. And, and for Tim Clancy as well, like to come back after that heavy defeat at Dundalk and not get the win, you can just see from watching his post-match interviews how frustrated he is. Um, and you'd almost feel that he's starting to be under a little bit of pressure already. Yeah, maybe not under pressure, given, given the fact that he did quite a good job there last year, particularly in the second half of the season. The start has been far from ideal. I'm sure the defeat against Dundalk would have hurt a number of people mm-hmm. and players within that squad. But he'll be so annoyed with last night, given the fact that John Mahans got sent off for Sligo after 20 minutes and they had a lot of the play. Tommy Lonergan has missed a sitter from five yards. And then the goals that they've coughed up is is really not acceptable at, at that level. And you could see that in, in Tim's post-match interview that he was really upset, particularly the second one. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a set piece so many players turned their back on the ball Ben McCormick who was due to be in the wall turned his back and Sligo played with a bit of initiative and they got in behind and and to be fair to Hartman he took his goal quite well and I'm sure John Russell is absolutely delighted that they've got three points there because the goal particularly the first one Hutchinson's goal was a superb move and uh from an offensive point of view the second goal was quite well worked but for Tim and for St Pat's they could deal with the win they yeah. really really could yeah, big time. Um, okay, let's move on now to uh, European football. Mark Langdon of the Racing Post is with us on the line as well. Mark, before we get on to the games, Neymar, it's uh, he's out injured now for the rest of the season with um, and he needs to get an ankle surgery. It feels like that he could be coming to his end, the end of his time with um, Paris Saint Germain. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's been a mainly disappointing kind mm. of spell hasn't it yeah. um, in, in France for um, you know for uh, Neymar when he's been fit he's he's been quality I think for a, a lot of the time but he hasn't been fit enough and he's missed so many big moments um, for, for PSG now who would take him on on the kind of wages that he's that he's currently earning in, in France I'm, I'm not so sure the sort of dynamics <laughs> of Man football have changed hard <laughs> well, yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> well, maybe um, and, and, top, and, and Chelsea were linked with, with Neymar um, you know a while ago and there was a suggestion that maybe Chelsea did want a kind of superstar um, in their ranks I mean yeah I mean Chelsea could afford him whether you'd want all the baggage that comes with um, Neymar particularly when you're putting a new team together I, I'm not so sure um, it's a big blow for him personally I mean he's somebody that you know in two World Cups he suffered injuries which mm-hmm. meant he hasn't been able to give his best he's missed a you know large chunk of important Champions League games I would just say there's probably some people and Christophe Gaultier that the PSG coach might be one of them that's thinking it's not an absolute disaster mm-hmm. for us yeah. because carrying those three players in big Champions League games is difficult I think it's much easier to play two so Mbappe and Messi away to Bayern Munich is probably better than playing all three of them anyway just for the balance of the team so um, imagine yeah, having that headache not... keeping you up at night <laughs> yeah. Going, yeah, which is my I, best I, out I think, of those oh. I think it has kept. I think it's kept mm. Paris Saint Germain sort of uh, coaches awake for a, a long time. How we where does Neymar fit in? So um, you know, from that point of view, maybe um, you know there is 
and it's not an advantage as such, but it makes that decision a lot easier on team selection. Yeah, for sure. Well, they play Bayern Munich uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Paul Corey, Chelsea are in action tonight. They got the win at the weekend, a very much needed one. They could do again another one tonight. They absolutely could. I'm just looking at the teams here. I'm, I'm trying to give you some team news, just looking at the formation. So it's Kepa in goals. They've gone with Fofana, Koulibaly, Kukurea, Rhys James is back in, Ben Chilwell. Then we have Enzo Fernandez, Kovacic, Sterling, Havertz, Felix. So good news there for particularly with Reese James, James and Ben Chilwell, yeah. and yeah. he reverted to a five on the weekend. And I fully suspect that based on the players that he's playing tonight, that that's the way they'll set up. I think it favours the players they have. I think getting Reese James and Ben Chilwell as advanced uh, in the final third has always proved to be kind of their best route to goal. Mm-hmm. And the statistics when both of those players play in those positions is quite good for Chelsea. Um, I'm kind of snookered on my prediction based on when I was in here with you previously I said that I thought Chelsea would go deep in the Champions League mm-hmm. I interpreted that as you thought they might win the Champions League No well <laughs> yes maybe maybe not quite that I thought they were good in the first leg and they maybe sucked me into believing that they turned a bit of a corner and since that game they've been really poor so it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out I think it's going to be a very tight game uh, and I wouldn't expect that there's going to be plenty of chances and plenty of goals Chelsea have not been good in front of goal they haven't created a huge number of chances and I think Borussia Dortmund will probably be happy enough to sit in and try counter my heart tells me Chelsea and my head says Borussia Dortmund so I'm kind of caught in between two Mark like ultimately we need to see a fight back from Chelsea here and just given maybe the lack of fluidity, character, um, resilience that they've shown over the last uh, little while. Do you think that they're going to be able to do it? And um, do you think that Graham Potter is going to be able to to get that type of performance out of them? I, I mean, the talent is there, but I don't think there's been enough evidence to suggest that with any confidence that you could say, yes, that performance is coming. And I actually think at home, um, the pressure's been on them maybe even more than when they went away because that um, sort of performance in Dortmund might have been the best one that they put in under Graham Potter and at home you know most of the fans are not happy with the style of play they're not happy with Graham Potter as manager and that's kind of I think just putting everybody on edge um, and, and making life even more difficult I think it's interesting that he feels like he's come across sort of what he believes is his best forward line to try to get that fluidity um, into the team that, that you were mentioning there but I mean Borussia Dortmund arrived in absolutely fantastic form not at full strength but um, a team's absolutely flying since the, the World Cup they beat Leipzig at the weekend I think they will expect to go through having won that first leg 1-0 I think most sort of, um, sort of people you know in terms of that watch the Bundesliga regularly think that Dortmund have, have kind of done enough I I'm I'm a bit torn as well because I do feel like Chelsea have got the talent in there to sort of put a performance in but until I see it um, I, I think I'd probably have to go with Dortmund myself What about Spurs and Milan um, and Harry Kane really because my uh, social media timelines today have been inundated with pictures of Kane in Manchester United jerseys um, how important is this game for the club and, and, and just even trying to in their quest to try and keep him if they want to yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's important. Um, you know, it's an important game anyway. It's the last mm. 16 of the Champions League. It's it's Tottenham season on the line. I know they'll be playing for fourth you know, next season, but it looks like Conte's on his way. Um, you know, it's whether Harry Kane sort of feels like he can work and wants to work with the next manager. So, I mean, um, you know, I'd be amazed really, I think now, if Conte was the manager um, at, at, you know, come the start of next season. Um 
I, I don't know, though. He's had opportunities to go before. This is obviously slightly different in that his contract is running out. Uh, Manchester United, I think, would be a good fit for him. It would enable him to sort of keep on track to break the Premier League goal-scoring record as well. Um, but the noises coming out of Tottenham until the last couple of weeks were that they were fairly confident that he would sign a new contract and it didn't it wasn't tied to Antonio Conte or sort of success really mm-hmm. um, it was more about you know him being comfortable at the club um, I mean I, I, if I was him I would leave and go to Manchester United um, but um, you know it, it's a hard one to say at the moment it, I, I think a lot will depend who the next Tottenham manager is if it's Pochettino I mean him and Kane have got a very close connection yeah. maybe that could be the deciding thing yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting time all right there over the next little while. Um, just before we finish up, uh, UEFA are going to refund Liverpool fans who had tickets for the 2022 Champions League um, in Paris. I'm actually surprised that they're they're going this far. Wouldn't we like them to give back money? No, it wouldn't. Um, I mean, you know, I think some people will see it as still as, you know, not going far enough, but... Um it's one step. I think that there are many more. I mean, you know, there's been, there's been you know, talk of Liverpool fans, um, you know, um, suing UEFA and, and getting sort of more compensation than just um, tickets. I, I, you know, I, I don't think that it it would be, um, you know, something that should be celebrated at UEFA that they, they've managed to do this. I think it was the least that Liverpool fans um, sort of deserved, if you like, given um, the the real sort of trauma that was suffered by a lot of those that, that went over um, to Paris. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's better than nothing, but um, I, I think that it will only, uh, it, it's, it's not it's not grand con- compensation because those scars will stay with Liverpool fans for a long time to come, those that were sort of caught up in the worst of it, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Slavin Bilic has been sacked as Watford manager. Chris Wilder is taking over there. Yeah, I mean, Slavin Bilic has been um, you know, not not done well enough at Watford. Chris Wilder had a bad time at Middlesbrough, but other than that, I think he's sort of proven, if you like, in vote commons, championship manager. Um, makes sense, I think. Um, but you know, it, it, when you go into Watford, you know you haven't got long. Um, everybody, you know, it, it's the same, isn't it? And so no manager can complain when they get sacked by Watford because um, they know the model um, and that they all accept it and, and go in there knowing that there's there's talent in that team. I mean, they should definitely be higher up in the championship. And if Wilder can bring some of what he had at Sheffield United, then maybe they, they could, um, you know, they could make a late dash. Um, for, for the playoffs because you look at like Ishmael Asar and players like that I mean they, they should definitely be doing better than um, Slavin Bilic the football he was serving up wasn't the best okay Paul I was just going to say my ex-gaffer oh go on yeah in Northampton yeah, yeah in League 2 and what was it like yeah very good very good very successful in Northampton the fans absolutely loved him he obviously went from there to Sheffield United and his, his rise has been incredible because he spent a lot of time in the conference and in League 2 probably one of these late developers who who had to bide his time to to make his trip up. So delighted to see him back in because things obviously didn't go to plan at Middlesbrough. And um, yeah, maybe we might see if we can get some tickets to Watford. Oh, happy days. Um, Mark, thank you so much. We will be talking to you uh, next week. We're going to take a quick break, but stay with us. Camogie to come. Game on on 2FM. It's time to turn our attention to Camogie. Adrian O'Sullivan, former Dublin manager, joins us on the line. How are you, Adrian? Yeah, good. Thanks, Marie. How are you? Are you missing the balls of intercounty management? Mm, I'm <laughs> a lot younger looking and a lot less stressed out, so uh, I'll probably go with no for that one for the moment. I think. <laughs> you're living your best life now, <clears throat> but you're ah, following it, it yeah. all the time. Of oh, course, yeah. you are. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Big fan now, and look, it's yeah. up and going. It's getting interesting already, and 
it's kind of the same old teams though that are doing the same old things um, at the weekend we saw Cork and Tipperary play out a, a tight enough game um, and it's again though Cork who come out on top Tipperary asking a few questions of them though maybe that they haven't mm-hmm. been asked of the, them this season so far yeah no look there's a few interesting narratives coming out of the league um, I think maybe obviously that Tipperary Cork game was was a clash of two teams who have been very very impressive so far and it, they were both unbeaten before that game um, and look, Cork edged it it's very hard to go down to the rag and win Tipperary have a fantastic record down there in their own in their mm-hmm. own grounds um, I suppose look, the it's interesting to see Cork bringing on a few new players or the Cahillan if I'm not mistaken the fifth member for family to play a senior for Cork after wow. her sister Maeve and her three brothers yeah um, that's unbelievable so it's isn't a fair, it fair, yeah fair bloodline there down yeah. in uh, Castlehaven so and the Finbar's club in the city as well they play <laughs> with both so look that, that was a really nice narrative and I suppose mm. it's a, a good sign for Cork fans that the, that the talent from their minor winning teams of the last couple of years is starting to filter through to the seniors you know so they're, they're shaping up nicely and look tip seem to be playing a different style this year with a third midfielder and they've kind of got new blood on the line and they were very, very close over the last couple of years getting to, to three or four semi-finals under Bill Milani. So I think the change there with Dennis Kelly going in, you know, sometimes all it takes is just a different voice to take, get an extra few percent out of a team and um, they seem to be going very, very well as well. And Watford are absolutely flying, which is a really interesting story as well as they've Sean Power gone in as their manager who would have, I suppose, brought through a lot of the current Waterford seniors from underage level, getting to uh, winning a minor All-Ireland um, and under-21 All-Ireland with the likes of Austin Gleeson and Patrick Kern and these guys. He's taking them over now and they're running amok in Division 1B. So, like, it, it is quite interesting. It might look, I suppose, for the casual observer, like it's the same old teams doing the same old things, but there there's quite a few interesting stories kind of taking shape yeah. um, as we head towards the longer evenings, yeah. So the gap might be... Well, I suppose, look, the gap is probably there, but the, the, maybe the, the second tier or the ones who are the chasing pack might be getting a little bit closer. We probably won't know that until the business end because, you know, that's when it really kind of, um, that's when the, you separate the, the men from the boys is probably the, the women from the girls. Is that the, the other yeah, the yeah. way you if say it? If I said there? that, no, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> so I'm glad you said it. Did <laughs> um, <laughs> you take the flag? Yeah, yeah, do, please. So Kilkenny and Dublin um, also played this weekend. And... Mm-hmm. Like Dublin are your former team. They haven't really. They they don't seem like they're playing, hitting the levels that they were at last year. I know it's difficult for you because you're not there. But like I know a lot of players didn't come back. It's probably a you know a kind of different complexion um, on the setup. Would you be concerned for their season? Oh, I don't think so. I mean. Like okay, we we ended up having a good year last mm. year in the championship, you know. But look, we got off to a tricky start in the in the league as well. I think Galway gave us a bit of a trimming inside in Grange Gorman in the first round, and um, we went down and, and lost to Tipperary uh, down in the rag as well. And look, at that time of the year with such a young squad, it's quite difficult because I know they had quite a few players playing in the Ashburn with the yeah. with the TUD winning team and a few with DCU as well. So this time of the year is always tricky for for teams with a lot of young players. Uh, there is a bit of a turnover in the squad. As you, look, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. I'm not keeping too close an eye on it. When you're finished with a team, you're kind of you're done with them, and and that's it. But as a, as I suppose a Camogie observer, both for Kilkenny and Dublin, I wouldn't read too much into the performances at the weekend. I think come championship time again, both teams will be fine. Um, Kilkenny aren't too long off the yeah. off the holidays. I think they're a little bit behind on their training and stuff like that. So look, they'll be fine come championship as well. So. Yeah, look, it is a slightly different Dublin team to last year, but look, Dublin have, have struggled with that over the years with just turnover players, and you kind of get that in the capital city. There's a lot more distractions maybe sometimes than there is down the country. But um, 
yeah, no, I don't think either team will be overly worried about their uh, about their performance at the weekend, and they'll uh, they'll be quite happy with their progress towards uh, towards championship. I think. Will you be saying the same about Clare and Galway? Tight enough game, really. One fourteen to thirteen points. Yeah, look, like, I can't say the whole point of that. I was of a small role in that, you know, that big thing now in GA, the backroom team um, in Intercounty. So we have a separate boss and everything for going to the matches. That's how, that's how big backroom teams are gone now. But um, yeah, look, Clare, top, top side again. They've changed manager. Um, Connor Dolan stepped away and, and John Minogue is mm-hmm. in. And look, they, they've got some really, really top class players. I think at the weekend, they were able to bring on Chloe Mori and Alana Ryan as subs. You know, two players who would who would really fancy their chances of stepping into any county team at any level. So um, I think Clare are building nicely. Um, they're very very solid at the back. They're hard to break down. Um, and look, Galway would be would be quite happy as well. They've they've blooded a few new players. Like Shannon Corcoran uh, scored a goal in her debut there to the weekend. They've been quite uh, competitive at minor the last couple of years as well, getting to a few semi-finals and finals. So a few of those players starting to come through and blend in with the with the the veterans as well. So yeah, I think again. Look, it very much like the hurling league is the league, and I think um, I don't think there's too many teams who aren't getting what they want out of it at this stage. You know, just trying to find a few new players and getting a performance here and there and moving on. Obviously, the likes of Cork and Tipperary might be a little bit happier than the others in that they seem to be almost at championship pace already. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, I think the vast majority of the Division One A teams will be will be quite happy with themselves. Okay, Adrian, thank you for that wrap up.